Welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast, and another jam-packed episode. I'm super jacked. What an intro. Julio, get the stretch. I admit I was wrong. I thought it was going to be a long-term thing moving forward on that Julio Jones trade, but the Tennessee Titans made it happen with a second and a fifth round pick. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but we got a jam-packed episode today. We're going to get to Julio for sure. The timing couldn't be better for us. We got ESPN's NFL Nation reporter, Teron Davenport, coming on, who covers the Tennessee Titans and uh, hosts the Talking with TD podcast as well. We've got the old boy. We're going to be talking NFL football, talking worst of first, and we've got our weekly golf b- report. we got no Dutch, but that'll come after break. Lots happening in the golf world from John Rahm, Mike Weir, Stephen Ames to the U.S. Women's Open at Olympic and Beth Ann Nichols from last week to this week on the PGA Tour. Dutch winner, winner, chicken dinner. Shout out to him. And uh, we've got the Palmetto Championship at Carnegie Golf Club uh, or Country Club in South Carolina in replacement of our Canadian Open that was unfortunately canceled. Um, due to the COVID and the border restrictions. So um, really excited about this episode. Lots happening in the NFL world, in the world of football. Lots happening on the PGA Tour and the world of golf. Champions Tour, LPGA Tour. Got a major coming up in a couple weeks. So we're super excited. Let's kick it over to our chat right now with Teron Davenport. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a huge welcome to ESPN's NFL Nation reporter for the Tennessee Titans, host of the Talking with the TD podcast, member of the Pro Football Writers Association, Teron Davenport. Teron, you on the line with us? Yes, sir. I'm here, man. What's going on? Not too much, my friend. Not too much. You couldn't came on. You, I couldn't have set it up more perfectly. Uh, we agreed to have you on uh, last week, and then obviously with uh, with the big Julio trade and everything, it was uh, it was perfect timing. Yeah, how about that? You played it well. Very well played, man. Shout out to you. So, Teron, tell us about about this Julio trade. Does this make the Titans the number one contender here in the AFC to to the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to pump the brakes on that one. I think the Chiefs are – they're the top team, clearly, but – after them, it's a group of, of teams, right? I still think Cleveland should be in the mix, right? Especially when you got uh, Odell Beckham Jr. coming back with Jarvis Landry and David Joko and uh, that running attack they got. I think that's something. And their defense is outstanding. So they're going to be up there. I think the Bills absolutely have to be taken into consideration as well. And the Ravens, too. I mean, anytime we have a team that has Lamar Jackson on it, they're going to be dangerous. So those three teams, in addition to the Titans, it's all just a nice little uh, uh, mix of, of, of teams. And you even have to, you have to mention the Colts as well. They're really good also. So I would say uh, there is a number one contender, 
But there's a group, and they're all gunning for the Chiefs, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, especially with the Colts being right inside uh, Tennessee's division there. We saw the um, the restructure of, of uh, Tannehill's contract today, saving saving uh, the Titans $13 million. Is there any other subsequent moves coming here, or do you think that's enough to be able to get Julio underneath the cap here and get the Titans underneath the cap, and, and then they can really start to look at training camp and, and how they're going to you know employ this team, or do you think there's more moves ahead here? Well, Tannehill's move, that, that restructure alone allowed Julio Jones to fit under the cap, but the Titans are the type of team where they just don't want to be right there up against it. They want to have that that bank of cap space that they could go to in case there's an injury. A la 2018 when Jonathan Cyprian went down and they pulled up the Rolodex and they they called Kenny Vaccaro and then signed him. So they want to have space for that. That's something John Robinson has said. So there are some a couple other moves that that will happen, not cutting players, but just a, a couple restructures. It hasn't come out who, but there are uh, two more deals that has gotten them, you know, with that that comfort zone, that cushion there to be able to make a move if they need to. And it could be a tight end signing, too. I mean, we're still looking at, at what's going to happen with Zach Ertz. I wonder, you know, if he ends up in Buffalo or what the, the Eagles end up doing. But that could be something that the Titans uh, might get involved with. Yeah, and I know John Robinson's mentioned that, you know, tight end was a spot that they were they were look, still looking at and still looking to maybe make a move to kind of help replace the, the John U. Smith exit. Yeah. What um, what do you see any changes or foresee any changes with Todd Downing in this offense with the addition of Julio Jones? Or do you feel it's going to be still a run heavy offense with obviously King Henry and then continue to use that play action and, and hit Brown and hit Julio now? I think it's going to be the latter, uh, what you just said. And uh, they're not going to change the offense just for Julio Jones. And that's something that they made very clear. In fact, I asked John Robinson about the targets that Jones is is going to get. I mean, he's averaged almost nine targets per game throughout his career. Well, you're not going to get that week in and week out because there's going to be those weeks where they got to go shoot a shoe and run the football and really pound Derrick Henry. So it's really all about, making the most of the opportunities. It's going to be more of a quantity or excuse me, quality over quantity type of situation. And I think the the offense will be a bit different just as far as uh, going from Arthur Smith. He had just this, this mindset and this approach to stick to the run. And it, you know, there are times where it was absolutely necessary and times where it wasn't, but I admired the way he was still run the football when they're down by two scores in the fourth quarter but he did that because he wanted to set up that play action, but he also wanted to retake control of the game. And what better way to do it than a 6'3", 247-pound John Deere tractor in the backfield. So <laughs> I, that's, that's what they did with Derrick Henry, and it all worked out with the play action as well. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be nice now. You know, that's one thing in Atlanta that, you know, Matt Ryan and that offense didn't really have over the last couple of years was a strong running game and a, and a yeah. play action attack to really take advantage of of all of Julio Jones, if you will. So I think the Tennessee Titans are a good fit and have a nice setup to really use Julio's uh, entire skill set, um, including that play action passing game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's transition now over to Ryan Tannehill and, and the, you know, the head of this offense, if you will, you know, what's going to be the key for him. You, you look at that, the right side of that offensive line, and there still could be a little bit of some question marks there. What's going to be the key to Ryan Tannehill's success this season? Yeah, I think the key to Ryan Tannehill's success is what he's always done. I talked to the wide receiver coach, Rob Moore, some about this before, and he said that Tannehill, the thing that they love about him, he doesn't see jersey numbers. So, you know, he's not looking for 11, looking for two. He's looking two. That's Julio Jones' new uh, number. He, he's just looking for the guy that's open. So everybody who's running a route in, in uh, any given play, they know they have a shot at getting the football. Whereas you have some quarterbacks, you know, they just, hey, look, no matter what, I'm throwing to that guy. And you don't get that with Tannehill. And that's going to be the key. Just continue to, to take what the, the flow of, of the progression is going to give you and hit the open guy. And that's, that's something that, you know, he's done in the past. And I would expect to continue. That's going to be big. And, you also have to give your guys a shot, right? I just got done talking about hitting the open guy, but there's going to be times where, you know, 
Julio Jones or AJ Brown are, are are covered, but they're still open. And what I mean by that is the back shoulder or throwing to a spot and, and just expecting him to use his body to kind of box out and create that space that way. So those are things that he has to do. It really comes down to just trust and and that's in the playbook as well. And then you always have Derrick Henry behind you. So that's a good thing to have. And they work off of that. That naturally makes linebackers step up. It naturally makes uh, you know, anybody in the in the front seven focus on it when when he's running the ball like that. So that helps. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And that'll be kind of a, a you're right, the next step for Tannehill to be able to, you know, have that receiver and Julio and continue to develop that relationship with Brown where he just starts to, you know, throw those back shoulders or throw up a ball or two to really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to make that big play, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, looking at the draft and, and, and reading some of your articles on, on ESPN, um, you talked a lot about Caleb Farley and, and your thoughts on him. Talk to us about this tight, Titans draft in its entirety. And specifically, do you see any late round sleepers in there? Um, you know, I really like Elijah Molden in, in the third yeah. round with that 100th overall pick. Uh, what are your thoughts on the draft and some sleepers? Yeah, Elijah Molden is probably, I, I, if you're going to call somebody a sleeper, it's probably him because I think he's going to start uh, uh, right away. Just as one, one of the uh, the nickel guys, he instantly gives them a very attractive option at nickel. He's also able to play safety as well. You know, I joked with him when I talked to him last week. I said, you know, you're a buy one, get two free because he could play <laughs> the inside, right? He could line up outside, maybe not consistently, but if you need a matchup there, he could do that for you. But then he could also play safety. You know, a lot of people forgot that he played a lot of safety at, at Washington, and he did that really well. In fact, he's someone that has drawn comparisons to Buda Baker, and I, I, I've I, made that comparison myself as far as play style is concerned. And just being able to, to get down in that slot and, and play that position the way he does, is, it's big, and I think that's going to – make a big difference for this defense. So you have that. And and Caleb Farley, I, I tell you what, the procedure that he had is something that, you know, some people are concerned about, but it has a pretty good recovery rate. So we'll see what happens there. He hasn't been on the field yet. We haven't even seen him in the building. Sometimes I walk by when we're at, at practice, I kind of peek inside the, the weight room and the facility and I, I'll see players, but I haven't seen him. But that doesn't mean he's not there. And the thing is, if they're able to get that guy just back to what he was before the injury, they had a major come up because he's someone that has the speed that can run with pretty much everybody. I talked to him about Tyreek Hill and I, I, your listeners, you just Google talking with TD, uh, Caleb Farley, and, and you'll hear the interview, but his comments were really, really good. I just teased that one to force people to listen, but uh, that's, that's that's something that, you, you know, you, you got to love when a rookie shows the confidence that he did when I asked him about Tyreek Hill and covering him. And uh, th- those are two players. I think Monty Rice is going to be a guy who will later down the line, you know, I believe Jayon Brown or Evans, Rashawn Evans, I think one of those two are going to be gone. And Monty Rice, David Long, they're going to duke it out to to start in place of whichever the veteran they, they lose. So that's something. Racy McGrath, Brady Breeze. Those guys are sleepers and that they'll have a special teams impact. And I could see, uh, excuse me, McMath. I could see Racy uh, McMath. I could see him being a gunner and uh, making some big plays for this Titans team. And he, he runs straight line really well. Just when you ask him to cut and do those type of things, it gets a little hairy. But that's perfect for a, a special teams guy, a gunner. Yeah, you're right. Um they, you know, they bring in the 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 addition of Bud Dupree and Danico Autry from over from the Colts. Is this is that enough to fill the pass rush hole, or are they going to need, um, you know, Rashad Weaver at a pit there in in the fourth round, another potential sleeper maybe to help secure uh, this pass rush and really get back to, you know, being aggressive and getting after the quarterback. They'll absolutely need Weaver, and they'll need Derek Roberson to to be healthy and. When healthy, he's a pretty solid player. He came on strong uh, at the end of his rookie year in 2019. Last year was just sketchy just as far as health. And, you know, it was it was tough for that team with, with, with him being down. So, yeah, they'll need additional help. But I think just adding Bud Dupree, adding Danico Autry, even Janoris Jenkins, it just it, it influenced a lot of uh, a hashtag that dog mentality. 
And uh, that's what they needed, you know. And, and you hear Kevin Byer talking about challenging wide receivers, being more aggressive with them. And that's just going to help the pass rush get better because, you know, when you, you disrupt the timing of a route, you make the quarterback have to hold that football a little bit longer. And that gives guys up front a chance to come home. And I think when you look at uh, Autry and then Dupree and you mix that with Simmons and Tierra Tart and Larell Murchison, but mainly Dupree and, 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 and Simmons, you know, those guys interior-wise, you could do a lot of things as far as stunts and games and twists up front. And I, I could see them making some things happen there. So I think the defense is going to be in good shape. The pass rush will be improved. And then you also get Jayon Brown. I expect them to give him a chance to rush the passer. He has six and a half sacks in 2018. And in my opinion, he's been one of their most consistent defenders over that three-year stretch, 18, 19, and, and 20 before he got hurt. Yeah, and, and the, you mentioned something there too. Is is that you know sounds by the sounds of it, it allows able to get back to being a little bit more creative up front and yeah. and really starting to dial it up a little bit, which is good to hear. What Teron, uh, what's going to push this Titan team back to the AFC Championship game? You know, is Julio enough, or is it going to be a combination of things to really get this team back to you know the AFC Championship game, a big time playoff contender, or even into their Super Bowl? Well, I think what they have now within that building, within St. Thomas Sports Park, is enough to make them a contender. As we we had started with earlier, you know, there are a group of four to five teams that are right there knocking on the Chiefs' doorstep. And I, I mean, Mahomes and Tyreek uh, Evans and or Tyreek Hill, excuse me. I had, look, a basketball reference, Tyreek Evans, uh, <laughs> Tyreek Hill and, and, and Kelsey and the crew, man, they're just – they're something special. And anytime you have, you know, Mahomes pulling the trigger, it's going to be advantage Chiefs. But, you know, if the Titans could play that physical style of football that they play like they did in the first quarter and a half of the AFC Championship, they got a chance, you know. But you know, I always say if is a strange word to use because, you know, if I ran a 4-3, I'd be in the lead. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> Teron. What? Uh, how? Do, how do you see the schedule setting up? Uh, you know, six out of the first nine games uh, against playoff teams, and then a little bit of a lighter load in, in uh, six out of the last eight games from non-playoff teams. Um, do you see them trying to just hold their own through the first nine, and then really making some hay late, or do you think? Uh, you know, how do you see that shaping up for them? Well. If you know Coach Rabel, you know he's an extreme one game at a at a time uh, believer. But that being said, I I think that they'll they'll split the this season into quarters, right? And you know the first four games are tough, but you had that stretch, right? Where you you got the Rams, you got uh, uh, I believe the Seahawks, the Seahawks, you got yep. the Bills. Like it's it's a tough stretch of games. So I believe the Colts are in there too. Yep, yep. That's a are. bit of a murderer's row right there. So, you know, they're going to have to fight through that. But, you know, as I said, man, Mike Vrabel is just, is, is every game, one game at a time. He doesn't allow the team to get ahead of themselves. And it's interesting. I was talking to Teddy Bruschi today, and, and he told me that, that Vrabel actually reminds him a lot of Bill Parcells. I thought that was really interesting, just in, in you know, the mind games that he plays with players, but more just like the way he gets guys to understand the team first type of thing. And Bill Parcells, one of my favorite coaches, man. I, I love the way he rides guys, and that's something that Vrabel does. He a little bit of a, a less poignant uh, approach to it. You know, he, he doesn't in, embarrass guys, but you know, he, he'll definitely uh, check them and, and make sure they understand what what the program is, what the message is. Wow, that's good to hear, Teron. We're going to let you go. Um, let our listeners know where to find you. How can we get your articles? Where's where you at with the podcast? Let us know where we can find you. At. Yeah, for sure, man. You could uh, check me out on Twitter at t davenport underscore nfl. All my stuff flows through there. But if you want to check uh, ESPN.com, you click on the team pages, click Titans, and subscribe there or follow, and that gives you every written piece. As far as the audio part is concerned, just search on Google Podcast, Spotify, iTunes, all of that. Talking with TD. This week we have a heck of a show. As I mentioned, I spoke to Teddy Bruschi. We got him on. 
I'm going to be talking to D. Orlando Ledbetter, so you get your Falcons input. Former Tennessee Titans receiver Nate Washington will be on another segment. And every week we talk shop with Chris Sanders, another former Titans receiver. So it's nothing but but fun and football, man. And uh, those two things go hand in hand. And that's why there's there's a not a bad day in my life, man, because I get to be involved with it. Oh, I love it. Well, I appreciate your time coming on. I know you're a busy man, so thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll follow up uh, as we get closer to the season or maybe during the season and, and see how you're doing and see how those uh, Titans are doing. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. To a breath of fresh air there from Tehran. That was absolutely amazing. We got the old boy in the house now. Old boy, you, uh, you with us here? You got it, big guy. How are you tonight? I'm very well, very well. Always good talking a little uh, – Tennessee Titans football and and uh, the timing couldn't have been perfect with with Julio Jones with Teron Davenport from ESPN. Oh boy, what are your thoughts on Julio? I know uh, we've talked off air a little bit. What do you uh, what do you think in there? Well, I think stylistically, it could it have been a better fit. Like you want to talk about a team that's going to take you to the back alley and kick you in the mouth and play like real tough like schoolyard football. Man, you got Derrick Henry, you know, in the backfield, and you line him up on either side now with you know, two big alpha dog wideouts, right? Like, you know, him and Brown are going to be a real nice one-two combo. It's going to be like, you know, what do you do now, right? How do you defend this team now? Because, you know, you're not going to be putting eight guys in the box anymore to try and, you know, defend, you know, Henry when you got those two weapons out wide, they can beat you, you know, one-on-one, right? So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what Vrabel and that team can can put together now with those two big dogs out wide, and uh, they're going to be a force now. They, they've officially put their name on the map now in the AFC, I think you could say. Were you yeah, shocked that they didn't get more, though, for him? I was. I was. I thought they would have – I thought Julio Jones would have garnered a first-round pick. There's no doubt. And, and, you know, we've talked about it at length, about Atlanta in terms of kind of now being caught in a, a catch-22 and kind of now looking a little bit – stupid for a lack of a better term with with drafting pits and they've got Matt Ryan and now they're just kind of in between everywhere like they're they're not rebuilding they're not can they really contend without Julio they're in an interesting position now and it the the Julio trade doesn't really make sorry the the pits draft pick doesn't make a lot of sense knowing or if you knew that Julio was going to be on his way out yeah 100 percent. if you thought that Julio was on his way out, then it's full-blown rebuild, right? And if you're at four, either you say, you know what, we're going to bring in the fourth-best QB, which would have been, you know, one of you, the Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones. And, you know, like we, you and I talked when we did our, our draft preview and we were talking about this draft, about how great it would have been for a kid like Justin Fields who had ended up in Atlanta, a hometown boy, you know, uh, an Atlanta guy who, you know, played a little bit of ball for the Georgia Bulldogs for going to Ohio State. It would have been a great fit, right? But um, it makes it look like they didn't have a plan or that really, you know what, man, it sounds like that whole thing that happened with Shannon Sharp totally caught them off guard, put them in a really bad position from any kind of leverage to try and get, you know, the, the right kind of value for this guy. And and now you're left with a guy who wants out. And, you know, like we've talked about now, like these players these days and the, and the amount of pull they have in terms of calling their shots and dictating their future. You know, the one thing I thought it was interesting was, you know, I was reading an article with someone making, you know, a reference to, you know, Julio being 32 and, you know, obviously a little bit, you know, on the backside of his career. But they compared it to that trade years ago with Randy Moss, you know, out of Oakland. Everyone thought yep. he was done. The guy goes to New England and lights it up. Remember that year with Brady where he lit it up? I don't know how many touchdowns he had, but it was like, you yep. know, high double-digit touchdowns. 2007, you know. 2008. Remember, remember that year? Yep. I went, I was at the uh, the Monday Night Football game, actually. They played uh, the Baltimore Ravens. They were undefeated. I think they were 13 or 14. That was the year. Oh. Yeah, that was yeah. the year they lost the Giants in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yep. Right? So, it's it's one of these situations where, like, I think Julio still got a ton left in him. If he can stay healthy, he's got a ton left in him, right? And I think, you know, there's a team that they're going to be mixing him up. He's not going to be getting the same type of target share he got in, in Atlanta, um, but he's going to be a nice complimentary weapon. And, and to what is, you know, a pretty, you know, I, I don't want to say wide open division. It's really kind of a two horse race between them and Indy, but I think they're right there, man. It's them now. It's, you know, them, the Brownies, the Bills, the Chiefs, you know, Ravens. Uh, the big boys, right? They're now in yeah. that blue blood conversation now in the AFC for sure, right? Yeah, and and, and you know, talking with Tehran, and I know you haven't had the opportunity to listen to the interview, but he said the exact same thing: is yeah, that like you said with the target share, you're not going to see the the 14, 15, 16, Stefan Diggs type of targets to Julio 
because there's just not enough ball to go around between ball, uh, Brown, Henry, and now Julio. But those 10 targets, I think you're going to see the catch rate go up to 75, 80%. And because a lot of them will probably come off of play action, you're going to see that, that average catch probably rate go up to, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 yards per catch. And you're going to have the old school Julio back. You know, you may see six, seven catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown pretty consistently. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. The play action for sure, man. Like, again, I can't imagine trying to scheme up, you know, defensively trying to scheme up for these guys. Now, actually, you know, as a Bills fan, you're going to see it, right? They play early on that year. There, They play, yep. I think, is it at Tennessee in prime time? Am I right in saying that? I yep. feel like it's a, like a Monday night or a Sunday night game or whatnot, right? But, yep. yeah, no, listen, man, it's going to be exciting. And I, I think um, it's a good fit. Uh, you know, could you maybe saw him go somewhere else? Like, there are other teams that needed help at wide as well too. Like, if anything, now you know, you know, for Tennessee, it's a little bit of an embarrassment of riches now, right? You got two, like I said, two legitimate wideouts, and so now, do you put them as having the best tandem in the NFL? Uh, it's pretty close. I know they were talking about that today, but there's some pretty good tandems out there from you know Tampa Bay, Buffalo, um, you know, a couple other tandems in there as well, sure. like that are going to be Minnesota, Minnesota, a bunch of guys. Yeah. Even, even, even Seattle with Lockett and and DK DK is is pretty solid. Oh boy. What, what are your thoughts on it? On Rogers here? Um, First day of camp, he doesn't show up. We talked about the new type of player and, and dictating those shots is retirement. The best option for both sides here. It's definitely an option, man. And I think if you're a Packers fan, or if you're, you know, we talked about it. We did that NFL preview for the schedule, right? We're talking the schedule release. And we talked about all those games early in the year where you had, you know, the pack in prime time. It's almost like, you know, the NFL was almost kind of baiting or daring them to do something drastic because they're going to call his bluff. Because, man, I, I, I'd be concerned now because, you know what, he didn't show up to, what, the first day of mandatory camp. Um, and he's just, you know, like we always said before offline, he's a different guy, man. This, this guy is in your tr- traditional – you know, quarterback, jock, you know, with no head on the shoulders. You know, the guy's a bright guy. He understands he has options. I think he thought that he was being mistreated in, in, in Green Bay, and he didn't like the way they were using their resources there in terms of making that team better. Um, and why not retirement, right? You sit out for a year, you rest your body, and then you get to call your shots. And, again, we can work through the numbers in terms of financially, how much, he, you know, he has to risk here if he was to retire versus other options out there, if he's a holdout or whatnot, right? But... You know, so let's say he does retire. Where would you like to see him play next year? What would be a dream scenario for you? A dream scenario? Oh. As, as, as a fan and just like as someone who like, you know, enjoys the spectacle of the NFL and, you know, being able to, you know, dictate kind of where he could potentially end up. Oh, come on. There's, 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 no better, there's no better than you mentioned the word spectacle. And there's there's no better spectacle than Las Vegas. Yeah, that'd and, be great. And, and the Raiders. Like, you want to talk about ratings and NFL and new stadium and, and a whole spectacle. Put them in the put them in the black and silver, you know. Even in San Fran, hometown boy, that's a that's another kind of interesting option as well, right? Yeah, the one that got away, right? You know, here they are drafting Alex Smith first that year with the hometown yep. boy on the board, and he has a chance to come back and uh, and maybe you know get him to the promised land, right, and win and, one, right? Yeah. And you, and you mentioned team off air to me too. What about Denver? You know, the historic yeah. Denver Broncos. You got Elway at quarterback and other other great quarterbacks in there in their lineage and history. Why not end it off with a, uh, with uh, Aaron Rodgers, right? Well, you definitely walked in a great situation just in terms of you know the past catching talent they have there and, and some of that rebuilding that they're doing on the you know on the on the back end of that defense and you got a pretty decent pass rush. Like I'm I'm pretty bullish on those Broncos and I think that if things you know if, if things fall their way offensively in the quarterback spot, there's no reason why they can't be you know a 500 or 500 better team this year looking at a playoff spot, right? So. Well, that's a great little segue into uh, into our little segment here tonight, talking uh, NFL teams in each division, worst to first. Oh boy, you kick it off. We'll start off with the AFC. Uh, AFC. You sure. Mentioned, you mentioned those Broncos. I'll I'll ask you flat out. In the West, do the Denver Broncos have an opportunity coming off of a five and eleven season to maybe not get up to first? Because I know the Chiefs will probably end up being there, but. Did they, they at least have an opportunity to jump ahead of um, the Raiders and the Chargers and, and get back into this playoff spot? They should be right there. And I think, but, you know, like we said, the offense is only going to go as far as either 
one of Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater take them? Because I think you look at that that receiving core, that that pass catching core. You know, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, a tight end guy, a kid like Noah Fant. You know, they upgraded that back end of that running back room as well too, with that kid out of North Carolina as well too, right? So, and and I think that it's the defense though. I think if that team takes a step next year, as much as it, it's going to rely on the quarterback position, I think if you can get another full year, like when was the last time you had Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb both healthy, right? Like it's been a couple of years now where yep. both those boys are healthy for an extended period of time. But if you can get those guys back, you get that nice bookend either side of that line coming in, generating pressure. There's no reason why those guys can't put in, you know, 20, 20, 20, 25 sacks combined if they're fully healthy. But it's the, it's the back end of that, you know, secondary that I'm actually getting pretty excited about, right? Like, I heard uh, the other day Vaughn Miller was talking about, he called the, the no-fly zone 2.0. Remember the old no-fly zone? Yeah, the like, no-fly zone, yeah. Right? But he was hyping them up, saying, listen, you know, we got Kyle Fuller. You know, they go out there and they bring in Patrick Satander second as well, too, yep. out of Bama. And they also brought in Ronald Darby, where, you know, we've seen him in Buffalo before. He's, listen, you're not, you don't want to rest your hat on a guy like Ronald Darby, but he's an effective guy who can play. And who can play is, you know, maybe your third option, maybe as your nickel or whatnot, right? Like, you maybe don't want to have Mel White potentially, but, you know, there's no reason why you can't bring him in and, you know, in, in three or four receiver sets and have him kind of get out on the field and make a play for you. So, yeah. You're, yeah. you're not going to ask, you know, you're not going to ask Ronald Darby to be on the field, you know, 75 plays a game, but he can come in and spot, you know, 28 to 35 plays for you. And he can he can make a play or two. He may, he may give up some plays. But but the thing with Darby that we that we've seen and we liked even in the Rex Ryan area is that Darby's going to make a player too. He's going to bat you down two or three balls. He may get you a pick. He'll get you the odd pick six, and he'll make a player too for sure. Hundred percent. I I think they're there, man. I think I think Denver's a team that if you want to talk about worst to first, um, they're right there. And and it's funny how every year there's always one or two teams that make that push. Like last year is Washington. Now the NFC East was a total disaster, but you know. They were the example last year, and I, I think there's there's a couple teams this year that that have a conversation. They're, they're at least in the conversation. Should things break their way, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, and as we move through the AFC, you know, I, I don't give the Jets that opportunity yet. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just don't. You know, you, you draft this the stud franchise quarterback, but we know how first year quarterbacks look in the NFL. Typically, I know that's changed over the last three, four, five years with the likes of. Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and and some of these new quarterbacks and and Joe Burrow um, who have able to come in and have in, instant success but I just I'm not sold on that kid I'm not sold on it um, I know he's got a big arm he can make all the throws but I just go back to just seeing him at the draft with his family and it, it looked like the wonder years man it, it looked like the kid was 12 years old at the college prom ready to go <laughs> like you know what I mean he, he no you're like right that frost week the frosted tips going to semi-formal, yeah. right? That's that, what he looked like, it. you know, and it's, you know, it's the big apple, man. And there's something to be said about walking to that locker room and leading a bunch of men and, and being, you know, being the alpha dog in that room and, and being the leader. Right. So there's just, you know, what it is? I think the Jets did a, a bunch of really good things. I know you didn't love, I know I heard your draft recap. I know you didn't love their draft. I think a lot of that hinged on, you not being fully sold on Zach Wilson, right? And also, yeah. you know, also you're trading up in the first round for a guard. And don't get me wrong, Elijah Vera Tucker's a great fit, and he's going to, you know, him and Mekhi Becton on that left side, man. Like, I tell you, yeah, that's a pretty nice-looking left side of that offensive line now with him at, uh, at guard and Becton at, at tackle. But oh, it's – uh, and, and then he brought in a couple weapons, you know, uh, you know, Corey Davis from free agency, Elijah Moore, which you're right. Like, you know, the him thing with him and uh, – and what's the crowd, right? Yeah, like you know, that's a little bit of you know. I guess Crowder's either on his way out, or they're gonna they're gonna have to do something there because really, that's they're the same kind of guy, right? It's a yeah. it's a playmaker in the slot who's gonna catch, you know, eighty to hundred balls and get you a ton of yaks after after the catch and whatnot, right? So it's um, I think for them it's just it's too big of a mountain to climb, right? Like you yep. know, Buffalo, Miami, New England are stop too much, you know, farther ahead of them right now, and I think they took steps in the right direction, but it's just, it's, a, it's about a year or two too soon for them to even be talking about the division, I think. So, yeah. And, and I feel that the same about the South. I didn't have an opportunity to get it in with, uh, with Tehran, but you know, the Jaguars, you know, they, they added some nice talent and they had a lot of picks and they did, you know, not overhaul, but they really added a lot of talent to the roster, but between the Jaguars and the Texans, I don't see either of those teams even competing with the Colts or the Titans in the South. It's you know what it is. I think what you may get from from Trevor Lawrence in the first year is 
kind of similar to what you got from Herbert and the Chargers last year, right? I don't think that that Jags team is as talented as the Chargers team is uh, on both sides of the ball. But, you know, if you get a kid who comes in, high pedigree guy who can come in and lead and perform early on and put up kind of like an offensive rookie of the year type season, you know, with the Jags, if the Jags finish at, you know, six and six and 10 or, you know, I guess now they have the extra game. So like six and 11, let's call it yep. like, I wouldn't be totally shocked, right? I think just think that it's, you know, the Texans are obviously in a in a weird spot right now with Deshaun, but I think you're right. The Colts and Titans are just too much further ahead in their development for them to be making a push at potentially winning that division. For that to happen, you need to see, you know, significant injuries on both those other teams. You would need, you know, the Wentz experiment not to work out, and you would need something in. See, the thing with Tennessee now is they're almost kind of, like Ryan Tannehill could wake up tomorrow and get hit by a bus, and I don't think it really matters. You know what I mean? Like I hate no. to say it, you know, because you could go ahead now and just you know you put the backup in and he, you run the ball twenty twenty five times a game, and you just you give your guys a shot to get open when you need them on you know third and long or whatnot. You take a couple shots here and there, but the game plan doesn't really change, right? I think no, you, you got to go in there and manage that for you, not turn it over, right? So no, and and defensively, I know they didn't their pass rush was horrendous, but they've added some nice pieces on on that side of the ball to secure the defense enough that and, – and when you're running the ball that well and you're playing decent defense, you're going to be in every single football game, right? 100%. Yeah. I think the Jags are there. Like, they're, they're, they're coming. They're definitely coming. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how patient Urban Meyer is going to be just in terms of this rebuild because, uh, you know, I think he's going to want this thing to turn around sooner rather than later. I just – I'm not fully sure he wants to sit in there and be only be relevant in, you know, five years or so, right? But – yeah. They got to hit on that quarterback. So if they hit on him, then anything can happen, right? So, what about what about Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals? I know we talked a couple of weeks ago with Jake Liskow from uh, Locked On the Bengals podcast, and you know what? He sold me on this Bengals squad. I I I loved what Burrow did before the injury. You know, you've got Tyler Board, you've got Jamar Chase. You know, you've got some options there. You you still got Joe Mixon in the backfield. You've added Trey Hendrickson on the defensive side of the ball. You've added some pieces there. I know you lost Carl Lawson, but you know what? Uh, I think they're going to be competitive in that North Division. I know the North Division is going to be good. You know, you got the likes of some of the big boys like you talked about earlier. But I think Cincinnati's going to give these guys a, a run for their money. And, and I think they've got an opportunity, like you said, with an injury or two here or a misstep or a misperformance um, from somebody big in the division, i.e. if Ben – goes down or Ben just fades away into the sunset, you know, they could jump ahead of the Steelers. We're not sold on Lamar Jackson. I know Cleveland's kind of the class of the division and everybody's expecting them to be there, but I I don't see there being any reason why the Bengals can't be right in the mix in this division. I love the offense. You know, like I thought, you know, Jake did a really good job walking through the depth or a wide out. Like, you know, I know we just talked about, you know, the best wide receiver tandems out there, but man, I'm sorry. You want to talk about, you know, the best, you know, you know, I guess, what do you want to call them? Triplets, the best threesomes out there, you know, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins. They're all young kids, man. You know, and they all offer you a little bit of something different, right? I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with Chase and, and what they do with that offense in general, because I actually think, I know everyone wants to, you know, see that Jake talked about it, that big sexy deep ball with, you know, Jamar Chase and, and Joe Burrow and what they had at LSU. But I actually think that the recipe for them may be get it out quick, man, and let these guys get to work after, you know, with the ball in their hands and let these guys make plays because yep. that line's still not very good. And you can't afford to have Joe Burrow sitting back there waiting for that deep ball to get open and getting hit. So they may have to come out and pop, pop, pop. They're almost kind of like a little bit of a like a Tom Brady, New England type system where you get it out quick, quick decisions, first read, get it out, and just let your guys make plays for you, right? But yep. And then, uh, and then use and then use use some pump fakes. Yeah, yeah. Get the defense moving forward, taking a step forward, and then you can hit them up over top, right? Yeah, I think you know what, man. It's going to be there. And if you can't, you know, like, listen. There's going to be at least a couple highlights that you and I are going to be talking about where Jamar Chase blows one for fifty plus, like beats a guy, kind of he like you know mosses some guy over the top, goes and gets it, and then kind of I can see him like kind of backpedaling into the end zone. You know, showboating it a bit, but he's just such a dynamic guy, man. You don't you don't go out there and spend the fifth overall pick, you know, on uh, on a weapon who unless he's going to go out there and, and make those type of game changing plays for you, right? It's just they're going to have to score thirty plus points a game for this thing to happen because the defense still, 
I know they brought in Trey Henderson, but you know, you lost Carl Lawson, you lost William Jackson, the third, like they did lose some pieces, right. That I'm not sure that they're that much better defensively. Right. I think uh, they just, they need, they need Burl to take a next step and everyone else to stay healthy. And I think there's no reason why they don't score in 30 plus. They just need to make sure that they're not giving up more than 30 plus a game. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but they're going to be a fun team to watch. And it's almost like you said, it's, it's a shame we're not going to see more of them this year in prime time because I think, you know, it's a, they're, they're a team that I think hopefully in the back end, if they're playing meaningful ball games or they're kind of in around 500, they, they find a way to flex some games or put them in a position to be on national TV. Because, not national TV. You know, yeah. yeah. So what else well, you got for me here? Let, let's switch over to the NFC. And, and you know what? I, I Looking through, I've only got kind of one star, and it's it's the star that I would imagine we would both have. Sure. And that's that's the 49ers. And, and I know that I know they didn't get good news today with a with a couple big injuries, one on the offensive line. Um, but I see the 49ers being there again, as long as, you know, they don't have this extended injury history again here. But is there any other team like I, I'm looking at possibly the Panthers coming up from in the south and, and maybe not taking over for the Bucks, but, you know, being competitive and right in that mix again because i think and we've talked about this extensively we talked about the falcons on this cast and we've talked about the saints on previous cast taking a step back so i see those two teams coming back and i see the panthers going forward i don't see why the panthers couldn't finish second and really give the bucks a run here yeah you know what like for carolina it's what happens with the sam darnold uh experiment yeah. right if you can and, you know, it's crazy. You go look. That kid's still 23 years old. He's 23 years old. Like, you know, here we are thinking he's an old man, been out of school for as long as he's been. Like, he's he's the same age, if not slightly younger, than some guys coming out right now. Like, it's absolutely crazy, right? Like, he's he's still a kid, and he's still learning. And I think I, I'm big on Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule's a great coach. I think he's a great leader of men. I like what he did at Baylor. And you've seen some of those behind-the-scenes interviews. I think his guys like playing for him, right? And I think yeah. – they got some pretty dynamic kids. You get a full season of McCaffrey back, hopefully back and healthy. You know, what better weapon than that? That's the best running back in the league when he's healthy, right? And then, you know, they got some weapons out wide, man. I think, you know, they got some nice pieces. I, you know, I like Dan Arnold as well, too. Like, there's a guy, a big boy, a tight end who can play, you know, some great football is a nice weapon for Darnold as well, too. And and they've been spending a lot of draft capital on the defensive side of the ball, the right? Yeah. So I, I think they're there. I think they I think they're, they're, they have a chance of playing 500 ball and, and being – you know, right there in the conversation. And um, but what about Philly? Do you think Philly's got a shot? I was I was thinking of Philly. I, I'm not giving. You know, we'll skip by the Lions because you talked about. Yeah, yeah, they they don't have a chance in in that division. It's it, um it's the same thing with Wilson with the Jets with with the Eagles. I'm not sold on Hurts. I'm not sold on Hurts. I'm not sold on. Okay, you you got Devonte Smith in there, but. You know who else is going to catch the ball? Ertz probably doesn't even want to play there. Probably won't be playing there by by week one. Um, somebody's going to snag him in a in a trade, right? So what do they got offensively? Like I'm just not I'm not sold at all. And I, I know the division's not great, but I look at I look at Washington, and from one to fifty three, it's a better roster than Philadelphia. 100%. I look at I look at Dallas, it's a better roster than Philadelphia. Um, and the Giants, hey, you want to talk about wide receiver trios? Um, they've got one as well. So, it, uh, no, I'm not giving the Eagles any shot. Yeah, well, you know, with, with Philly, it's um, – it's yeah, you're right. It all comes down to Hurts, and it comes down to whether or not they can develop some type of a – like a decent, maybe like a two-headed back run back, you know, running back game that was Miles Sanders and – that young guy they got out of Memphis, who's supposed to be pretty dynamic as well, too. He kind of falls in that that line of these like multi-dimensional kind of weapons that have been coming out of Memphis the last couple of years. I, like, his name's escaping me right now, but he's like an Antonio Gibson. He's like uh, the other kid they had out of Memphis the couple of years before that as well, too. Where they keep bringing these young guys out who they're just they're weapons. They're not even like you know they they end up coming out of, of college with like you know thirty forty carries you know over their career, but they just. They're offensively gifted kids, I, and I'll, I'll look them up here while we're talking right now. But it's uh, – yeah, listen, you know, Philly – I think the thing with Philly is not even so much about Philly. I think just the fact that the Cowboys and Giants are going to be that much better too. So we know what Washington's going to be, and now they're going to have competent quarterback play combined with some other weapons offensively. They're going to be a force to be reckoned. They are – they should be considered the favorites in that division. I really do think so, even with Dak coming back. But I think it comes down to the fact that, 
you know, the Cowboys and Giants, you know, the Giants get Saquon back on top of what they did on, 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 at the wide receiving room. Like, yeah, I think it just comes down to the fact that Philly's just not there. They're, again, they're a couple years behind, right? There's a reason why they, they did that trade to try to accumulate draft capital because, you know, Nick Sirianni and the, and the, and the rest of the team, they realize they're just not there yet, right? That they got to go ahead and, and, and just add more talent to that roster. So, yeah, you're thinking of um, Gainwell, no? Kenneth Gainwell? Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. He's the next line of these guys, man. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think of who else it was before that, but like, Memphis, it's been uh, who's who else is it now? It's driving me crazy. Like, there's been these guys that every couple of years now keep coming out of, out of Memphis, where it's you know, like I said, they're not they're not even traditional running back. It's, um, you know, like I said, Antonio Gibson was the guy that I keep thinking about beforehand. Yeah. Um, but they you got these dual threat kids who come out. They're just they're playmaking types. You know what I mean? Yep, so, yep. oh, Daryl Daryl Henderson was another one as well too. Daryl Henderson, Henderson. Yep, that's out right. of Rams. So these guys are just their weapons, right? So, um. Yeah, no. Listen, man. I think uh, yeah, Gainwell in, in Philly. That's that's a nice that's a nice pick. You know, as a home run hitter to kind of pair up with uh, with Sanders and see how that works out there as well, too, right? So, oh, Tony Pollard was another one. That's another guy. Like these are the guys I'm talking about. These guys that are just like pretty dynamic athletes that don't have a ton of carries coming out of college, right? So, but out of Memphis. But anyways, man, it's um, yeah. And and what about? So I guess yeah, we can touch on the, on the Lions. I think for the Lions, it's all about. It's changing the culture, right? Yeah. And yeah. Campbell's been trying to do that with, you know, this whole thing. We're going to start, what do you say? We're going to, you know, bite you the kneecaps and, like, you know, take you out down low. But it's, for them, it's just about bringing in respectable, quality football back to Motown. The Jared Goff experiment most likely won't work. It's a stopgap solution at quarterback. Yep. But, you know, listen, you got a nice left tackle you brought in. And, you know, I know you're high in DeAndre Swift and some other weapons. That kid they got out of USC as well, too. Amonse Ross seems like a pretty, yep. you know, a pretty a pretty decent weapon out wide. Let's see what happens in Motown, right? Again, like... 100%. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of McDermott year one. It's a right? culture. It's a culture, trying to, right? yeah. trying to change the culture, trying to trying to bring in high-character high guys. And sometimes, just like McDermott did, you, you catch lightning in a bottle, you catch a, the league in an off year, and... and who knows? Like nine and eight might get in. Like it might sneak in in the seventh spot. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You just never know. Ten or ten and seven, they they somehow get to ten wins, and so you're right. It, they're it's you can't count them out, but you look at it. The, the, their only good hope is that Green Bay right now is in shambles. Yeah. With with Rodgers, the Vikings are the Vikings. They haven't really improved a whole lot. Like the draft class was decent, but they didn't really get any game changers in the draft um and the bears obviously they're they're at they're in the hands of the quarterback right with, with fields and and what they're going to do is it dalton is it fields or you know who knows there so um the division is wide open for play right now as we as we sit here in the middle of june if if september rolls around and, and rogers is playing and the vikings stay healthy you know you're probably going to be odds on for one of those teams being up there, but um, hey, it's open right now. I think, hundred percent, man. I think, it, like I said, it's, it's. I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream for the Lions. Is that this, they're just not prepared to be winning double digit games this year. But I think for them, it's like you said, it's it's about putting putting the right culture, putting the right people in place, surrounding that locker room with leaders that you can trust to help instill that culture and. Yeah, like if if you were to go ahead and rank, you know the you know the eight teams that finished last last year in terms of who has the the highest odds of of getting you know into that first place, it, it would be the Niners. And I think for me personally, second would be. See, here's the thing, you know, first place is a big ass, but I think you would put maybe someone like the Broncos because listen, you're you're a Patty Mahomes injury away from that yep. division being totally up for grabs, right? Yep. And, was- and, and stranger things happen, right? Like. You know, you saw like in the playoffs last year. He he is susceptible when he when he rolls around a bit. He could get hurt, and you know, and they don't really have like. Listen, you can't replace that. And if something happens, like that, that's the caveat for every every team in the NFL. Who the hell has a backup that can step in and and give the same quality of play as your starter? There's very few teams that have that luxury, right? So, you know, that's what makes it that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes this conversation fun to have. Is that I think there's enough talent there in a team like Denver for that. If that something like that was to happen. They're right there, and they're knocking on the door, and 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 they they should be you know right in the hunt. But I think that's how I would I would put them. You know, the Jets, the Bengals, the Jags, the Lions. 
they're all kind of the back half of that list, I think, to be honest. So yeah, no, no doubt. I think you, you you nailed it. Your top three. You're looking 49ers, Broncos, Eagles as your top three options for uh, for that. Totally agree, old boy. Now listen, I will say this before the, the before the Julio Jones signing, the stars could have potentially lined up there for the Jags if things fell their way and Trevor Lawrence totally came in and lit the league up by storm. Like there, there was a ch- outside chance of the of those Jags making a run. Like you could you could have put that together if like the Wentz experiment failed miserably, and you know the Titans were just you know too one dimensional and just weren't able to kind of get enough done offensively without you know a second weapon. Because listen, before they brought him in, the big concern was you lose you know John o. Smith, you lose Corey Davis. Now yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. You shut you shut down Brown and and. Or you shut down Henry, and they've only there's there's not much left there, right? No, no, yeah. right. So it's amazing how one addition just totally changes everything. Because I'll be honest with you, I came in tonight prepared to make a case for you know Jacksonville having a shot, but I just feel like right now it's just too much of an ask. And I think um, I think for them, you know, like I said, you know, being in around five hundred be I think be deemed a massive success in year one for Urban. So awesome. Well, old boy, yeah, appreciate you joining me. Thanks for coming on. We're gonna uh, we're gonna send the listeners off to break here. We'll uh, we'll catch you. And, and before we let you go, I'll say uh, make sure you enjoy your Euro Cup. I can't wait, pal. I've been I've been I've been totally soaking it up. You know, trying to digest as much of it as I can. I feel like it's totally creeped up on us here. I, I love the fact that uh, you know that Ford's decided to open up bars and whatnot just in time for all his Italian developer buddies to be able to watch a soccer game on uh, on Friday <laughs> at three o'clock, right? But no, listen, man, I can't wait. It's gonna be a fun tournament. All the big boys are there, and uh, and obviously the Scotsmen are back. They're back, baby. You know, there's, yeah. there's no party without Scotland there, right? So it's uh, it'll be great to have you know a bunch of the big old blue bloods there, and and a couple other really passionate fan bases. It's gonna be a great tournament. Can't wait. So awesome. Well, listeners, uh, we'll, we're going to send you off the break, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Lexi Thompson. Lexi, I'm sure just an incredibly um, tough moment, but talk about the fight today. Yeah, of course it's tough. Um, you know, I really didn't feel like I hit any bad golf shots. That's what this golf course can do to you, and that's what I've said all week. But, um, you know, 17, I mean... I didn't hit a bad drive. The wind just never got in. Didn't even try to bounce right in it. I've never seen a lie that bad. But um, but that's what this course can do. And um, just got the wind wrong on a few shots coming in. Um, but overall, I mean, I'd be the first one to tell you that I hit some bad golf shots and I deserved it. But it's golf. <laughs> Beth Ann. Lexi, were you aware of the leaderboard throughout the day? Um, I, I knew about it coming down the stretch, I guess, um, with the last few holes. But I really didn't look at it all day. I honestly... Just try not to focus on it. I just wanted to come out today and play my game like I have the last few days. And no matter what happened, I knew if I just committed to my game plan and um, what I've been working on in my swing, that's, I just want to see it keep on improving over time. And just got a few bad breaks, but let's go. All right, listeners, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed the clip, clip there from Triple G. We're going to segue away from the world of football into the world of golf and a busy time indeed in that world from uh, the ladies to the senior men's to the PGA tour a lot happening here in the world but let's start right where you heard that clip um, from break and that was Beth Ann Nichols talking to Lexi Thompson on uh, Sunday afternoon Beth Ann joined us on the podcast last week if you have not had the opportunity to check it out please do so um, some great insight into last week's event at Olympic Golf Club. And indeed, the 41 back nine collapse of Lexi Thompson. Um, and we talked about it. We talked about those American players, i.e. the Corda Twins and Lexi and Daniel Kang and some of the top-notch American golfers just maybe wanting it a little too much uh, when it gets down to Saturday and Sunday and the weekend. Um, in these major championships, specifically the U.S. Women's Open Championship. Lexi had it, had a five-shot lead with 10 to play, um, eight under. She was cruising along and a 41 on the back nine, a double bogey with three bogeys. Bogey in the last two holes, um, especially the 17th hole, really stung, as you heard her talking about it there on the uh, on the clip. 
um, with her distance on that par five, which uh, everybody was routinely getting home in two or greenside in two all week long. Uh, no reason to take a six there. So uh, really stung for Lexi and, and interesting to see. But another thing we talked about and, and where the winner eventually came from, and that was uh, Yuka Sasso, uh, 19 years old, winning this championship. And, and, and we mentioned last week that 15 players of 20 or younger were playing in the event last week, only 13 at 35 or more. We talked about that that age uh, gap and that age difference from the men's game to the ladies' game, and it shined through um, this weekend. It really did shine through, and the, and the winner came from that younger generation, 19 years old, like I said. Another great finish from Brooke Henderson, one round away, uh, 78 uh, in round two, really ended up costing her. She finishes the event at uh, one over, five shots behind the lead, and she's got to be kicking herself, thinking, you know, a 72, 73, even a 74 on that uh, on that Friday, and what could have been um, another major for uh, for Brooke Henderson, but a solid seventh place finish, and um, up to fifth in the world ranking. So Brooke continues to shine and continues to put light on the Canadians women's game. Uh, Elena Sharp, their support her as well, and many others to come uh, on that side. And um, much to look forward to in the ladies' game, the KPMG uh, Women's PGA Championship. I'm also excited for this event as well because they are on a golf course that Dutch and I have played. That's Atlanta Athletic Club. So really excited um, for two or three weeks from now for that event to come to Atlanta and the women to shine on another historical venue. So nice to see these women get in some of the venues um, that they routinely haven't been able to uh, to get over uh, over the last many years. So great to see and great to see them uh, play on a golf course that uh, that I've actually been blessed enough to play. So that'll be an event that uh, we're looking forward to. Over to the Champions Tour and the Senior Men's Game and uh, more Canadian shining. We talked about Brooke Henderson. Now we get to talk about Mike Weir and Stephen Ames. Listen, these two guys are 6th for Weirzy, 19th on the money list respectfully. Ames gets a victory at the Principal Charity Classic. Mike Weir's in second place as well. One two finish. Almost sounds like Dutch's picks from this week, but uh, we'll get to those. But listen, one point three million dollars for for Mike Weir. He's got a win, three seconds, and eight top tens in nineteen events here on the on uh, the 2020-2021 Champions Tour. Amesy a close follow right in behind with a, with his first victory, two seconds, and five top tens in seventeen events. So absolutely phenomenal play from these guys. Great to see. We've been talking about it, uh, at least Weirsy for a while, and and, and Amesy's starting to uh, to come up into the fold here as well. Both guys are are getting back to what got them there in terms of you know where they were and and what brought them to notoriety on the PGA Tour, and that's the putter for Mike Weir and um, some solid iron play. And for Stephen Ames, it's, it's the same thing. A good driver of the golf ball and a great ball striker. And when he gets that putter rolling, um, look out. And you saw it this weekend. And he's uh, able to compete and able to win out there. So a huge victory. Same with the ladies game. July 8th to 11th, the U.S. Senior Open um, will be in effect. Uh, so we'll look forward to that event as well. So a great, uh, exciting time for Canadians and exciting time for both of those tours as we move into the uh, the dog days of summer here in the world of golf. Now to the PGA Tour. John Rahm withdraws six-shot lead. What the hell happened? Um, let's start first with, with John Rahm and his actions. And, and whether it's true or not, whether he was a close contact and he knew, because if that's the case, then then we can't be mad at the PGA Tour or think that something else could have came because that's on John Rahm. If, if, if in fact, he did have a close contact with somebody that did have COVID, to put everybody at risk like that um, is completely selfish and irresponsible. And, and I hope that's not true, and, and the truth will come out. But um, in terms of the PGA Tour and how they handled it, a uh, little bit of a shit show. I thought, you know, a, a very tough situation for them to be sprung into that situation that late on Saturday, um, especially with the leader and and that size of lead. Um, you know, different if somebody's in contention or, you know, tied 56th or, or well down the field. 
But to have somebody who's absolutely on fire with this golf game, uh, you know, I was messaging Dutch um, throughout the weekend as Rom was making his run, and it was a classic John John Rom week. A classic John Rom win was was going to happen this week. He is that type of golfer. He's the Rory. He's the um, you know the Duval. Those types of players that just get just get extremely hot, and when they're on, they're on, and when they bring their A game, they are. A class above everybody else. Um, the A game doesn't always show, and they can can compete and win with a B game. But when John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and a few select golfers in this world, when they bring their A game, nobody's beating them that week. And the, this was John Rahm's week, and it's unfortunate um, what happened to him here. But in terms of the PGA Tour, uh, to me, a bad look. I thought there are numerous different ways they could have handled that. Um, there's tons of golf carts. You can drop off a golf cart. Hey, John, hop into this golf cart. Um, here's a mask for you. Let's get into the locker room. Let's get into the clubhouse. Uh, to pull them off right off the side of the green like that, I get it with the whole putting green thing and, and providing a little bit more space. But um, a, a few different ways instead of you know really shining the light on John Rahm. Um, but Conspiracy Theory 101, you know, the rumors out there as well that, that you know, he's committed to the Super Golf League and the this Premier Golf League. Um, so was it a way for the PGA Tour to uh, get a shot back at John Rahm? Who knows what's happening behind the scenes there. But, um, you know, the PGA Tour, thumbs down. A little bit of a shit show for sure. Could have been handled a little bit differently. I understand it was a tough situation. But uh, good on John Rahm for handling it so well. I hope that you know he didn't have a close contact and and was indeed following the COVID protocols. If he wasn't, then thumbs down to John Rom and the PGA Tour for the whole situation. But thumbs up to uh, to Patrick Cantley and Cal- Colin Morikawa. Dutch had them great picks. Dutch, um, I know Kucher withdrew and you threw in Carlos Ortiz late um, for those paying attention on our social media, Facebook and Instagram. Um, we threw in there Carlos Ortiz, and I hope you listen to Dutch's picks this week because he had Cantley and Morikawa. So well done. Um, another winner. That's, I believe, winner number four for us in the last uh, 13 weeks here on the PGA Tour. So we continue to ride hot, and we are going to ride right into the Palmetto Championship at uh, Congaree Golf Club, par 72, 7,700 yards in South Carolina. As a tear streams down my eye because we should be in turn having Alan Palmer, Ian Leggett on from St. George's Golf Club here this week to talk about the RBC Canadian Open, but canceled due to COVID and the uh, border restrictions. So tough break, but we're on to the Palmetto Championship for the second straight year as a substitution for the Canadian Open. It's a Tom Fazio design, best new golf cor- course in 2018. It's uh, it's four years um, open now. And uh, the the Pinehurst type, white sand, you're going to see 130 acres of, of white sand waste area. So a, a similar feel to Kiowa, to Pinehurst, that South Carolina feel. Uh, the field's not the best. Hey, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. You got DJ, you got Kepka. But overall, uh, not the best field um, as we move in. And, and, you know, tough for the guys to, you know, be in South Carolina and then, all the way over to Torrey Pines next week for uh, for a big U.S. Open. Shout out to Adam Hadwin on his qualification. Taylor Pendrith as well. So we're going to have four Canadians. Matt Hughes, Corey Connors, Hadwin, and Pendrith in, uh, out at Torrey Pines. Same guys as last year's uh, U.S. Open field for from a Canadian perspective. So uh, once again, shout out to Canadian Golf. Love talking about all these Canadians on the uh, Triple G podcast here. But let's get to this week's picks before we uh, before we end off this episode and uh and give you the uh the news on next week's episode. We're going to start with uh with Dutch's picks as he's not here. Short and sweet. Uh we'll start from the bottom when we hear he just qualified. He was the medalist at one of the venues uh for US Open qualifying. He was believe minus 12 or the 36 holes longest day in golf and that is Eric Van Ruin 90 to 1. Absolutely love this pick. Uh, riding high off of uh, a Monday qualifier of the U.S. Open. Keep your game sharp. Keep it going. Dutch is taking Eric Van Ruin. He's then going Scandinavian style, going to the Swedes. And uh, quietly, T13 t- last week at the Memorial at Jack's Place, 35-1. to 1. 
a rock steady pick of the week for Dutch, and that's Alex Norn. Really playing some good golf. And his big gun at 16 to 1 this week is the Englishman. I like this pick. Um, doesn't always drive the ball that straight, but they're it's generous off the tees. Um, they've softened up the golf course a little bit from when they've played it last here because um, this golf course can play firm and fast and extremely difficult. I like Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Dutch has got him as his big gun of the week. So that's Fitzpatrick, Norn, and Van Ruin for the Dutchman. And we'll go to my side on the take a flyer pick. You know what? T730 at Memorial, T65 at the Charles Schwab, T43, and T37 at the Valspar. He's making cuts. And if you look at the scores, and, and those who have followed along with us and all of our loyal listeners out there, you guys know I like this, is he's one round away. When, when I see somebody play th- you know, three good rounds, uh, Keith Mitchell, when we picked him at the Valspar, it was the same. He had an 82 the week before on uh, on the Saturday, Sunday. And we picked him. Next thing you know, um, he was right there top five, and, we, and we, we made bank on it. Jason Duffner's got one bad round. He's throwing in a 74, 75, 77 on one of these rounds, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's still making cuts, but he's just got he, – if he can just put four together, I think he's going to be there. And you know what? At 140 to 1. I'm taking Jason Duffner on a take-a-flyer pick. And then I'm going with two rock-steady picks. Um, uh, Dutch has got the, the big gun in Fitzpatrick. Uh, we're staying away from DJ and Kepka. Um, this guy's been playing good golf. You know, uh, T30th at the, the PJ Championship, T3 at the Charles Schwab, 35-1. to 1. Why not Ian Poulter, rock-steady pick? I'm taking him. And same with this gentleman. He's been playing solid. T8 at the Charles Schwab, T37 at Memorial. It's a. It's not the best field. This is the type of event that can really get his career kickstarted again. He's been playing good golf. Lucas Glover as my pick. I like. I got Glover, Poulter, and Duffner as my three picks. Dutch has got Fitzpatrick, Norn, and Van Ruin. Folks, that ends off this episode. Thanks for Teron Davenport for joining us. What perfect timing talking about the Tennessee Titans and the Julio Jones trade. Thanks to the old boy talking uh, Aaron Rodgers and some worst-to-first chats. Um, we're going to have more NFL chats along the way. Next week is a huge episode. We've got our men's U.S. Open preview. We've got a special, huge special guest coming on. He's played in three U.S. Opens, five PGAs, one British Open, former tour player, now on the radio in his hometown, St. Louis. We're excited to bring it to you. Make sure you're tuning in next week. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Triple G. We'll have some news as we lead up into next week's episode. And thanks for tuning in and hope you enjoyed the Ginger and Gridiron and Golf Podcast. Thank you.